is in the comments, so stop by and say hi. This lovely lady here is Chrissy Voss, and she has agreed to talk with us a little bit about, um, you know, supporting our gifted, our gifted kids, and 2E and non-neurotypical, and kids who might have some unique learning needs. Um, and when it comes to homeschooling, it's really important. Um, for all of us, I know loads of you guys in the community have given me questions over the last <laughs> week or so. Um, I know, you know, we've had a couple of people who messaged me, they're really excited for this. So um, I know there's going to be uh, some good questions here. Um, and I just really want to thank you, Chrissy, for coming over into our little corner of the internet and Yay. chatting with us. Hey, it's a pleasure. I'm so glad to be here. Um, I um, I wanted to uh, to just introduce myself um, and again and say um, that I the reason I ended up tutoring mostly gifted and two E kids was accidental because I don't do homework help. I actually create curriculum specific to the student, and I think that just appealed to families that were looking for something a little bit different, a little bit more for their kids. So it was like kind of a happy accident for me. Um, and I also homeschooled myself, so I'm super excited to talk to homeschoolers because I think there's like a different level of, um, well, there definitely is a different level of responsibility. When you're choosing the curriculum yourself for your kid, you you feel it differently. So I'm excited to answer questions and help people in any way that I can. Shall awesome. I just jump I'm right just in? Gonna, yeah, go for it. I'm just gonna tag a couple of our members because I've already got a couple messages. Oh, yeah. Um, so go ahead. Let's start with um, the topic of transitions because I know that's super, it's important and it's frustrating <laughs> and it's difficult. <laughs> and I think all of us, Every one of the moms, and I know that you're, you know, you're also a, a parent of um, some non-neurotypical kids as well. Mm -hmm. I think we've all experienced that frustration that comes with those flow moments. So I would yes. love to hear what you have to say about this. Yes. Okay, good. This so, is what um, I've been waiting for. <laughs> so, and I, I forgot, I, w I wanted to say that cause I have, we have three kids and me and my husband have three kids and they're all gifted, identified, and two are also 2E. So I've experienced a lot of the different challenges and um, hurdles that I didn't know how to get over. So I'm excited to help um, to help anyone here who has some of the same questions or problems or conflicts in your house that that we had in ours. So um, I think um, I had three. There's so many things you can do to help with transitions or just to help with managing flow state in your house in general. But I just chose three for today. So um, the first one is so simple, but it's really really powerful, and it's just schedule flow into your family calendar. <laughs> so um, I um, I thought of an example for each of these from, um, well, two, two are from my students that I tutor and I got permission to share. So this first example is um, this student, Sean, that I, um, that I tutor, he, um, he is gifted and he completely gets into flow and he goes on this crazy research dives because he's obsessed with insects. So if anyone out there has a kid that like gets really obsessed with one interest and they want to just dive deep until they literally can't find any more new information, this is this is a good plan for your family. So what um what Sean's mom has done is they um they got one of those digital calendars and so they just have it up in their kitchen. 
And um, I think what's what's been so powerful about scheduling in that flow time for them is they've stuck to it. It's visual on the calendar. All of the parents' activities are on the calendar. The kids, they're, these are public schooled kids, so their school time is on the calendar. Dinner's on the calendar. Homework is on the calendar. But they also made the effort to put free time on the calendar. They don't call it flow in their family. So they put the kids' free time on the calendar because they know, especially Sean, really, <laughs> really, really, like when he he was – this year is in fifth grade. Last year, he was super obsessed with ants. That was his insect of choice. So, um, so cool. it's so cool. So um, just as a little background, my first job out of college is I was a professional researcher. I did research for a living. So I know how to find things. So last year, I'm tutoring a nine-year-old. And I had trouble finding information about ants that this kid didn't already know. So, I mean, if you're out there listening and you have a child that knows more about a subject than you do, then your kid knows how to get into flow. You know, like you're experiencing that at your house. Like it's not, it's not average for a nine-year-old to know more about any topic than an adult basically. So he, he gets into these deep research dives, but Sean can look at the calendar and know when his opportunities for flow are. He can just literally look at it and see. So um, a good example of this is, Thursday is um, is kind of his least favorite day because he really likes to go and research and learn about things. So he has school, he has homework, and he has like maybe 30, 45 minutes before he has to arrive with his mom um, to take his sister to volleyball practice. So there's like no long stretch of free time for, for Sean on Thursdays. So um, this could really be a rocky transition for this family. You know, maybe he finishes his homework as fast as he can so he can go – um, he's researching tardigrades now because he stopped being able to find new things about ants <laughs> last year. So that's his new, that's his new obsession this year. So he starts researching about tardigrades and this kid gets into flow as a habit. So the more practice you have entering this state of consciousness flow, the faster you can enter it. It's, um, it's actually been studied extensively. So, um, so this kid can get into flow in like 30 minutes and then his mom comes and tells him, hey, in 10 minutes, we've got to drive your sister. Well, that could be a huge conflict because flow is a really, like human beings love being in flow. Um, another word for flow is ecstasy. So it's not really a state of consciousness that you want to leave. <laughs> so there's going to be a level of frustration there. And um, something to keep in mind is kids, they're, um, they, they don't have well-developed emotional regulation yet. They don't have well-developed understanding of how a calendar works and when they can expect to be able to do this fun activity again. But because his parents took the time to schedule it in and he can see it, he already knew Thursday wasn't a good day to get into a crazy long research dive. So when his mom interrupts him and says, hey, you know, in, in like 10 or 15 minutes, we've got to get going, it's he can manage that frustration that he's feeling. Because one, he already knew he was going to, he could see on the calendar he's going to have to go and ride with his mom. But two, he can also see on the calendar um, Friday is one of his favorite days <laughs> because it's his day that he has the most free time. So um, his, their, their family weekends are really busy. So he knows that on Friday, he's going to have that time to research. So I think sometimes um, you can smooth the transition just by planning beforehand um, something that will help your kid manage those feelings of frustrations when you interrupt their 
flow state. So I think the very first way is to schedule, schedule and flow. And if you have a kid that's a little too young to really respond to the calendar, um, this was going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, when I was preparing this, I was like, what, all, what were all the questions I had? Because um, this was really a conflict in our house, um, especially for one of my kids that literally could get into flow like in five minutes. He, um, I think we never had him assessed, but I think maybe he's like on the autism spectrum um, just from some behaviors that he has. So um, a lot of these things are things that I tried myself and then like recommended to families that I mm -hmm. tutor for. So when your child is too young to respond to a calendar, um, I still recommend using the calendar because that habit is going to become ingrained and later mm -hmm. it's going to make it so much easier. But um, what I did with my kids um, and, and I actually know a couple other families that also started using this is have an evening and morning chat. So um, when I was tucking them in, especially this one child, <laughs> um, I would always say, okay, so, you know, uh, let's talk about what we're going to do tomorrow. And, you know, tomorrow morning, we're going to, we're going to go over our day right after breakfast. And then we're going to do math like we always do after breakfast. And we're going to do reading. And then after that, you're going to have a little bit of free time before lunch. You know, what do you want to do? What are you going to work on? Um, and then I would just walk through the day with them. But then in the morning, again, I would say, okay, remember, we talked about what we're going to do today, you know, right at breakfast at the beginning of the morning. You know, first you're going to do your math, then we're going to do reading, and then you're going to have free time. What do you want to do during your free time? So it's it's a combination of um, sharing with them, like, oh, this is the time that you have, but also encouraging them, have them think about what they want to do during that free time, because kids can easily go into, like, some sort of serotonin loop activity. You know, they're playing, like, a bubble game on the phone or something, and that's yeah. not flow state, even though you, like, lose this lose the sense of like time passing. It's really different like neurologically than flow. So I would always try to encourage my kids to do some sort of activity that was an interest that would actually encourage them to get into the flow state. So right. that's what that's what you do for kids that are too young for to really respond to that calendar. So really quick, can we just take a little aside and yes. can you talk a little bit more about what flow state is and how to recognize it because uh, I think so you and I have talked about it a little yeah, bit yeah yeah and, um, I think there's a couple people who will hear this and see it in their home in about five minutes yes okay so um I, I wrote some notes about what it is okay so um if you um if you have a child that gets so involved in like role-playing art reading math that they forget to go to the bathroom eat drink you have a kid that gets into flow state um what flow state is it's actually a state of consciousness um and what makes it so amazing is um your prefrontal cortex actually gets way less active during flow so what happens is like that's where your inner critic is really active is your prefrontal cortex. So um, your inner critic is silent. So you're willing to take way more risks. And um, because your prefrontal cortex is less active, you for, you lose your sense of self. So you become way more connected with what you're doing. And you also lose your sense of time passing. You're only aware of like, 
you're only aware of the Sorry. moment. That's no, okay. You're only aware of the moment that you're in. So if you have a kid that forgets that time is passing, they're only aware of the moment they're in. They've forgotten what's going to happen next. You know, they um they get super connected with what they're doing. That those are all signs that your kid is is getting into these flow states. So um some why why I think we just got a question really quickly. Oh good. Yeah, yeah. Um so you mentioned serotonin looping. Mm -hmm. So what do you know or do you have some resources on what's going on in the brain on like a molecular level? So what's happening? What actually changes in the brain versus flow state like from flow state versus a serotonin loop? Um well I know a lot more about the serotonin loop than I know about like the chemical processes in flow. Um and the 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 person that's like the most eminent researcher on flow, his name is really, really difficult to pronounce. So I'll have to, <laughs> I can Google it. But um, if you want to, um, after this, mm -hmm. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, after this, because um, we do have a couple of people who are interested in some of the research. Like this is, this is my home, man. This is like my yes. community. <laughs> they love the, they love the data. Yeah, me so, too. Um, me too. After this, we'll post some links to a few of the studies that we talked yes. about. And I think a few things that you'd like to share as well. It's so fascinating, actually. It's really, really interesting. Um, I, I know more about what, what flow enables you to do than the, than the processes in the brain. Um, because a, a seren, I guess a serotonin loop, I don't know if it's technically um, a state of consciousness, but flow is a state of consciousness. Like it's, flow is a recognizable pattern of brainwaves. So if you get into flow um, and you're on any kind of like brainwave measuring machine, um, the the pattern that that shows up is is the same for everybody that gets into flow. Like it's a recognizable phenomenon that's across cultures. So um, that's part of how we know so much about it because they can identify when it's happening. So then they can measure all these effects of it. So something that's really interesting why I personally, like if, if anybody out there is like, oh my gosh, can my kid just not play piano for five hours? Like <laughs> um, what I would like to encourage you with, challenge you with, motivate you with is flow is actually one of the optimal states of mind that a person can be in. So, um, so it's, I think it's really wise to learn how to manage it. How, how do, how do you help, you know, help, help your kid learn to take a break, go to the bathroom, eat some food, you know, do their math or whatever it is they don't want to do, do their chores. But I think it's actually super important to make room for that that's that's a special talent that everyone can develop, but not everyone has. So when you're in a flow state, because they've studied it so extensively, we know that you that when you're learning something in a flow state, it only takes you half the time to learn it. It cuts your learning time in half. Um, I forget the percentage, but you rem you retain more in your long term memory from what you learn during a flow state as well. Um, you're five times more productive when you're in a flow state. So something that would have taken you five hours will only take you one hour to complete at the same level. It's, it's amazing. Like, so next time you're frustrated that your kid just, <laughs> you know, wants to only do math all day for like seven weeks until they've tired of it. Just remember, like, this is an optimal state that people love to be in, but also 
you know, we're homeschoolers. We, we're wanting our kids to learn these things. Like, and they're cutting their learning time in half by, by entering this state of, state of consciousness. So it's, I, it flow really is actually a superpower. I mean, if someone can do something twice as fast as everyone else, I think that's kind of a definition yeah. of a superpower. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. Or like so, if you could five times more things done, it's amazing. So what I, what I love about this is because, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are listening, you know, a couple of people are listening and thinking, yeah, that's my household. But um, for us, I feel this on a daily basis. Whenever we, we were building circuits the other day and I, I could not stop. He doesn't want to do anything other than build circuits. And it's the thing that I struggle with a little bit is Although I would love to let him just roll with that bent for however long it lasts, um, you know, there are some things that we do need to get done every day. Mm -hmm. So how do I transition him out of that? I don't really want to transition him out of that. You know, I want to let him keep going, but um, at the same time, like we do have some commitments. Um, yeah, we do have a couple of commitments that we need to get done and, like what do I do? <laughs> what do What's, I do so when we're seven and a half hours into circuit building? It's so interesting because I because um my one kid that's that's not two E that's just gifted um she would get into flow also she's really creative so she would mostly get into flow with math and um, art but she had a much easier time transitioning so I don't know if it's partly like being two E or if it's or if it was just you know her personality she's also the oldest. But the other two, I use two different techniques. Like first, of course, my own kids could pop into my mind first. So mm -hmm. one of my kids um, is the one that really thrived off of having that morning and evening conversation. We had a calendar, but we also had morning and evening conversations, even when she was like in high school. It, it was every day for her whole life <laughs> because she just needed to know hey, when is my time going to be tomorrow? Do I have any time tomorrow? What are we doing tomorrow? Um, so I honestly think that's one of the most powerful things you can do, even though it's the most basic. Schedule in time for flow. Make it a priority on your calendar. Make sure that, make sure that, and the other thing that I will say too is 90 minutes is the minimum time for flow. Um, if your kid is not experienced or they don't have great emotional regulation, 90 minutes is the minimum time for people to get into flow. So if you want to avoid conflicts, you know, three hours is a better time period, which is a long time. I mean, that's why I'm saying plan around it. Um, make it a priority so that when your kid, that your kid can count on, oh, I'm going to have this uninterrupted time, then those transi other transition times aren't as frustrating. Um, because that's- so we the, have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, we have a question just to, you know, break in, because I think we could talk about this for the next 20 years. <laughs> um, so am I doing the wrong thing by making him get the to-do list done and breaking him out of flow? I think that's a great question because I wonder the same thing all the time. Okay. So with that, with that kid that I was just talking about, um, if she knew she was only going to have an hour here, it was, she was okay with being interrupted. It didn't, it didn't cause a big conflict or like a meltdown, but with my other, um, with my other, what we ended up doing in our family, and every family's different, every kid's different, but this is something else you can try. We told him, you know, you have to get 
we his list of things that weren't his interests at the time, whatever they were. Um, you know, you have to get your reading and your grammar or your vocabulary and whatever done, you know, and then the rest of the day is yours because he was a lot more intense and that was really motivating to him. So we started doing that in probably first grade with him. He was our youngest, so we had a little experience. So we had already tried other things on him that weren't as successful. You know, he was having mm -hmm. way more conflicts, having to get, having to transition out of flow. So he would get up at like 5.30 as a, like a seven-year-old and go do whatever the three things were that I asked him to do. And, um, and we had a couple other activities that we always did together. We always did read alouds together. So he knew he was going to be interrupted at some point in the day for read alouds before lunch. Um, I tried to make the schedule as predictable as possible for that kid because that really, really helped. So he would get up at 530 and work as fast as he possibly could on his work. And he would be done at like 730. Um, so I don't know if anybody else experiences that. Some homeschool kids can just get their work done so fast when they're little so, so from from my perspective here we go through maybe you know maybe it's unique maybe it's not but um i'll share i'll share the experience and you can kind of let me know if it's something that is normal, normal. <laughs> <laughs> like none of this is normal <laughs> but you know normal to an extent yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so what we deal with on a regular basis is that um, my little one will have these flow states where he will focus hyper intensely. Like he can research on his own. He can build circuits on his own. Like he'll have a few hours at a time of extreme focus and autonomous work. Um, but then when it comes to the stuff that he's not interested in, he's very need like he's, he needs me to be there mm -hmm. and push a little bit to get started. And he feels almost like he feels abandoned um, a little bit when we move to the things yes. that he isn't interested in. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's just, this sounds so on one, hand, <laughs> on one hand, I'm like, uh, do you, do you, am I like taking something away from you by not, letting you have that independent time to struggle through this or is this simply just not the way that you learn so that that's definitely a question i struggle with and it's also a question that one of our other members um had kind of asked as well so if you have any thoughts on that well have like, you have you gone into the, into the research deep dive about body doubling yet <laughs> i have not so it's um it's actually um, like a sort of like a therapy technique for people who have ADD. If um, if you have ADD and someone sits beside you while you're working, um, your focus and concentration improve. So um, even if even if that person's like on the phone with you and you're working, That's it still works. Super interesting. So um, it, you know, the ADD brain is it is different from you know, like an average brain, but also like ADD people are people like body doubling works for people, but it just works especially well for ADD um, brains. So, and part, part, one of the other things about ADD brains is they don't 
they have a harder time paying attention to things they're not interested in. And that's a, that's like, that's the moment when body doubling works the best for them. So it's the same for regular brains. Like, I don't know if your son has ADD, but it's, it's the same scenario for any learner who's, who's learning something they're not interested in. They're going to have more focus and attention if someone sits with them, especially if that person's also working. They don't need to be working on the same thing. Super interesting how I, it's, I think it's fascinating, but yeah, that's the, the best case scenario is they're sitting beside you and they're also working. They don't need to be working on the same thing. The second best scenario is they're sitting beside you relaxing. And then the third is like, if they're just talking to you, like on the phone or something, but they all work. It's interesting. But so that's super interesting. it's normal you that know, my son that's actually normal. <laughs> that's super interesting. And my son will ask me, um, you know, we'll sit down, we have like a, a little routine in the mornings where we sit down and we do some, some drawing or sketching or writing, or whatever he feels like, but we do something with paper just to get our thoughts out. And Every single morning, without fail, he will bring his paper over to my side of the table and say, "Can we draw on the same paper?" It's yeah. the it's he the weirdest that. phenomenon. Yeah. yeah, so it's a thing. It has a name. <laughs> not neat. So yeah, that's normal. I think that's normal, especially if you're not interested in the thing that you're doing. I mean, in that case, he just enjoys your company, and then it's also that body body doubling, so he's getting more out of it. He's able to focus more on the task that he also enjoys. Yeah. And I no. see that so clearly that, you know, when someone's sitting next to him, we, we do, we started doing German with a friend, um, just like on a video call every day. And it's, he's suddenly productive. It's he suddenly done. gets it done. And yeah. it's, <laughs> it's a I thing. Feel like I've just learned so much. <laughs> you're doing all the right In things. The <laughs> Yeah, you're doing all the right things. That's like that's actually one of the one of the techniques that you learn um, if you go to like occupational therapy for ADD. That's super interesting, yeah. and I would have never. That my mind is just blown right now. Yeah, like you, I'm, it's, I'm it's, experiencing some some. Yay! I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you learn like I think like tutoring and because I've tutored, tutored mostly gifted and 2E kids for such a long time, you, you know, like I do my own research, like, oh, my bag of tricks doesn't work really well for this kid. So, you know, I'm always reading different, um, I, lo I love reading scholarly articles about how the brain learns, so. I think that's fascinating. And I've, you know, since understanding this identity or like encountering this identity, I've gone down this research hole and, Every time I, every time I go looking, I find something that's just disturbingly accurate. So yeah. Very dis like yeah, it's precise depiction yeah. of my situation every day, and then at the same time, um, at the same time, it's just fascinating. And it, so Heather made a comment about. Um, it is really, really hard to know if we're doing the right thing and are we teaching them responsivity and uh, responsibility and discipline and getting the job done, whether you love it or not. I ask myself the same question because on one hand, flow is super advantageous to us, but on the other hand, it is not always functional. Yeah. It's not always possible in, in life. I think that's a really hard question for me. I think, um, I didn't realize at the time, but I had a really unconventional upbringing because my mom's family is all artists. Like every single person is an entrepreneur or an artist. So um, 
So I went to public school, but, um, but like all of the rest of my time was my own. Um, like my, my mom didn't put any limits on what we wanted to do. So I didn't realize how unusual that was until I became an adult. But one thing that was hard for me, um, or like, I shouldn't say it was hard for me because it's just that I, I didn't learn it as a child, but like you're saying, um, I, my mom also owned her own business, so I had to work for her. So I had that experience of doing things that, you know, just needed to get done. But, um, but I had to learn how to like work in an organization. Like when I, when I took a job researching, I had to learn how to, you know, work according to someone else's timetable on things that they were interested in that I thought, well, this is kind of a waste of time, but okay. You know, um, Whereas I think a lot of children grow up learning those skills. And for me, I didn't learn it until I was an adult. However, I learned it. You know, I was just like, oh, okay, this is how this work environment works, you know. Um, but it was a transition for me. And I, I specifically remember having to learn those skills. So like an answer to this person's questions, question, I hate to say it, but I personally don't think there's a right answer. I think, you know, if you give your kids a ton of autonomy and then they end up working in a corporate environment, they're going to learn that they don't have as much autonomy and they're going to learn how to manage that if they have good social emotional skills, right? Like I know how to get along with people. I loved people. So I did have to learn those skills, but I had like the emotional health to learn them. It wasn't, it was just new skills. It wasn't, you know, life-changing or something but for me because that was a hard transition for me as an adult when we decided to homeschool our kids I purposely decided to put a little bit of structure in there um so that's why we we our rule for our homeschool was you had to get kind of the basics done before you had your own free time and if we and we had certain designated activities like we always did read alouds together um, and we would go to the library together. Um, but like, if you make them fun, I also did a lot to make those activities fun, even when the kids didn't feel like doing it. Um, you know, it just becomes a, like a tradition in your house. They look forward to doing it. So I think you can be totally unschooled, but you can also have structure and your kids are going to turn out fine because you love them and you're taking great care of them, <laughs> you know? I hate to say it, but I honestly think both ways are fine. So I totally agree. And um, so I think I think we have a lot. I think a lot of parents kind of feel this really quite profoundly. Yeah. Um, so we have another uh, a user who mentioned that. Um, so I love this question. If I let him go flow, but full-blown flow all the time, will he ever be able to work for someone? And I think that's the most interesting question because, so you, you I know, just graduated your youngest, right? Yeah, yeah. So what, what, how, does, how do they grow up? <laughs> Tell me about, I want to know how it ended. Well, like, I mean, about the end of the story. Like that question she said, will they ever be able to work for somebody else? I will say I am a tutor now, you know, like all my jobs I had, um, I worked, I worked for um, a, like a regional bank doing research for them, investigative research. And then I worked for MIT. And then um, all my jobs after that have been self-employed. So um, 
you know, I think my family life did teach me to love having autonomy. But um, but I will say, I, as a person who is basically like, I mean, I wasn't unschooled. I went to public school, but like literally the rest of my time was my own. Um, I I love who I am. You know, I love I love being self-employed. I love what I do. I love everything about it. So, um, you know, if, if you have a child that wants to be in flow all the time and you decide that that's not the best for them and you send them to public school, they may still decide to be a self-employed or, you know, be an entrepreneur anyways, because maybe that's what they love, you know? So, um, I think kids are way more resilient and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I think structure is not a hardship for kids. You know, if you can provide varying levels of structure in your home and your like super autonomous kid is still going to thrive. You know, you can you can tell this kid, hey, you know, you only have four hours of flow each day. Make the most of it. You know, that kid's going to thrive um, if you're supportive of them and you have a healthy emotional family life. It doesn't matter if you give them four hours or eight hours a day. I really don't think it matters um, personally. That's just my per that's my personal opinion. <laughs> Okay, here's another really good question. So, um, what does is flow able to be achieved? Like, is it still flow if they're not working on something educational? Like, for example, um, like being obsessed with Pokemon or learning how everything that there is to know about Minecraft or, um, you know, so the example that she gave was some gaming, Pokemon and gaming, but. I think um, I think there are some like musical mm -hmm. uh, music art. We in my household, we spent almost two weeks obsessively learning how to animate, like with a flip book. That's <laughs> all we did for probably two weeks. Like everything else was a struggle, but no, we were going to make that little guy flip around. Yeah. So, is it still flow if it's not educational? Yes. So what's interesting is when they first started studying flow, they knew it happened with musicians and like extreme sports um, competitors. Um, and so that's where they started. And they thought that flow had more to do with like that, like, you know, like your whole physicality and um, and music in particular. But when they studied it, they actually found that more people enter flow with like, um, I forget the, the exact terminology, but with when you're doing some sort of activity that requires like a high level of critical thinking, there's a specific scientific term for it. But so things like math, um, reading, um, researching, like if you're researching Pokemon, that that's actually one of the one of the ways that people enter <laughs> into that 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 state of consciousness the most easily is when they're they're researching something, they're learning something new, especially if it has to be like at the, um, the intersection of something that's that highly interesting and challenging. So if you don't, you don't actually enter flow if something's just really interesting, but um, easy, which is, I think, also fascinating, it has to be something challenging. So if you've got a piano player, for example, or, or a kid who loves math, I think the, the music and math are really easy to see how things become more and more difficult. So you know, your kid's not going to enter flow if they keep playing the songs they learned last year. And you would notice how frustrated they would become if, 
those were the only songs they were allowed to play on the piano. Or like if your child has already mastered third grade math and that's the only math they're allowed to do, they're not, they're not going to enter flow when yeah. they do that math. It has to be both interesting and challenging. So, um, so that, those are the two requirements. It doesn't matter if it's academic or useful at all, <laughs> which I think is interesting. I think that's super fascinating because, you know, so Janet mentioned Pokemon and um, my little one also loves Minecraft, but he, you can see where like the challenge comes in. I want right. to figure this out or I want to make this thing work and then it yes. doesn't. And that's, takes all of his focus. It's super interesting to, to see that that's, how do you manage that? <laughs> what do I do about that? <laughs> well, I think, I think you have choices. Like, I think that's why I suggest a schedule because every family has a different set of values, a different set of goals, you know, a, a different set of responsibilities. You know, my mom worked and my parents were divorced. My mom owned her own business. She even worked Saturdays. So guess what? I had a lot of time for flow, you know, unless, and when I was young, I always went to work with her and worked for her. But then when I was a little older and I was able to stay home by myself, I could literally do whatever I wanted. So, um, you know, your family is going to dictate what your schedule can allow. And that's okay. Like your kid's going to turn out okay. <laughs> you know, um, if you only, if your family's really, really busy, you know, you're both working full time and you, your kid has, you know, two hours a night, well, they're going to, you know, you better believe that kid's going to learn how to get into flow about Pokemon in like 15 minutes. Because the other thing that we know about flow is you can actually learn to enter the flow state more and more and more quickly. So the more experience you have entering flow, you can actually decide I'm going to enter a flow state doing this activity and shorten the time. Um, so I would, I would encourage you, if you've got kids already doing this, teach them what it is. Tell, tell them, oh, let's think about that. Oh, you, you seem like you were in flow right now when you were working on your Pokemon research. How did you get to flow so fast? Like, you know, was it because the, the, the kids were playing outside? Like help them identify you know, the, the ideal environment for them to enter flow. If you only have a few hours to give this kid, help them shorten the time it takes for them to enter flow so they can have more time in it. Um, I mean, that would be my flow and not a serotonin loop. So especially well, like with Pokemon or like, is it mostly about the research or is it more about just the like constant new so like I could play, you know, one of these stupid games on my phone yes. or a puzzle game or something yes. and every level is consistently more difficult yes. and I can sit there and do it for 20 years. But yes, that's that's a serotonin loop. Um, so I actually don't know. Technically, I, my my hunch from what I know about serotonin loops is if you're playing Pokemon, um, you're probably in a serotonin loop. Like if you're playing a Pokemon video game, you're probably in a serotonin loop. Um but if you're researching Pokemon, like you're on your Pokemon game, but what you're doing is like looking at like grass type, fire type, water type. Can you tell I have a gifted kid that was really obsessed with Pokemon? <laughs> like, I'm like, yes, I know how this feels. I had a kid researching Pokemon all the time. <laughs> um, and then I'm like, it's time to do read alouds together. Um, so, you know, if they're researching it, that is flow. Um, but if they're playing a game, um, then it's 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 probably a serotonin loop. It's, Pokemon's a little bit more of a complex game, but generally, 
that's how games are designed um, is they accidentally <laughs> discovered that <laughs> and then that's how games are designed. So they're probably not in flow if they're playing Pokemon. So um, do, do gifted kids like in general tend to have a harder time getting into flow with writing because um, so Heather, I believe it was Heather who asks again, this seems to be a weakness for a lot of, of gifted children. But I also noticed that I think non-neurotypical kids in general, unless they have like that, I mean, I've run into a few that just love to read, hands down. Um, but unless they have that as their main focus, it does seem like writing is difficult, seems to be a difficult subject. So this, this touches on a related issue um, that I'm like, it's super, super fascinating, but um, I think someone had to ask a question about asynchronous development. So yeah. all children experience asynchronous development. So let's take, an, for example, an eight-year-old, um, and they're, they're, they're a kid who's neurotypical. They're learning at, you know, taking in new information, learning at an average rate. Maybe they really hate writing, so they're a little bit below grade level in writing, but they love math, and they're above grade level in math. So that's, an, that's asynchronous development. And the um, the difference is significant. The difference between their weak skill and their strong skill it's it's significant. But now set that child, you know, let them go play outside. <laughs> now we have like an eight year old um, gifted child, and it the they're also disinterested in writing. Their writing is below grade level. They're really interested in math, and maybe their math is eight levels above grade level. So the the difference in that development is way bigger. So the frustration that the neurotypical child feels when they, you know, they just finished a math activity where they felt like a champion. Everything came easily. They learned it easily. Now they have to transition to a writing activity. Guess what that frustration level is? It's significant. It's frustrating. But now you have, a, you know, a child that's, that's high ability. They they learn faster. Um, they just finished a math activity. Now they're transitioning to a writing activity. Imagine that frustration level. It's huge. So that's that's the source. It's that it's that huge dif difference between what they're really good at and love and what they don't like. And if if you never nurture the weak skill, that frustrations it's never going to get smaller. <laughs> So my my kid is a you know bilingual household right and we notice this right off the bat. I we do a lot of reading together. We always have a very literary family. So obviously I don't speak German as well as I do in English. And we noticed right away that you know my little one was really really advanced in terms of of linguistic capacity um, in English but he wasn't quite as like, he never really caught up in German. And then that gap just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now getting him to do any German at all right. is, it's a roller coaster, but it's, that's, is, is it comes that frustration level is huge. That's why that gap keeps widening because every time they go to do that activity, it's, it's really, it, 
it challenges their sense of self. It challenges their identity as a really highly capable person academically. It's super uncomfortable seat for them to sit in. <laughs> so I have an idea for that. that. Yeah, tell me, please. Okay. Okay, <laughs> give, so, me, give me the solution. So um, I'm, I'm, I, I have permission to, to share about this, this child too. So her name's Danielle. And when I started tutoring her last year, she's, she's gifted identified as well, but her reading was not as good. And, um, and so um, her mom wanted her to read the, you know, about read like historical fiction from American history, because she also hated history. So it was like a double whammy for this kid. You know, I don't like reading, and I'm reading something I'm disinterested in. So when, um, when she would read aloud to me, um, she made tons of mistakes. I'm a super positive person. And, um, I think, I think maybe because I come from a family of artists that aren't like, they're not very materialistic. They're all about like relationships. That whole like growth mindset was just like how my family was. It was like, let's just enjoy life. And, oh, you weren't very good at it. Well, how can I help you? You know, like it wasn't like, they weren't achievement oriented per se. Um, so that's kind of who I am. So when I'm, when I'm tutoring someone, it takes a little while, but if you have someone cheerleading for you saying, oh, you don't know that word. Oh, if you come by a word you don't know, I mean, I'll just tell you what it is so that they don't have to say, oh, now I have to read aloud and stumble through all these words I don't know. Um, so she, she struggled through that book with me, but she excelled on her reading comprehension. So I knew even though she didn't have confidence reading, she understood every word in this book because I would ask her like, you know, Bloom's taxonomy, you know, you go, you go up the chain to more and more complex questions. She could answer like really complex questions, especially for a fifth grader. That's really unusual. So I knew it was a confidence problem. Um, and I found out during like those first few weeks that she's super into horror. Like her parents let her um, watch horror movies. And um, so the, I got permission from her mom to do just a whole series on horror. So we did Edgar Allan Poe, Shirley Jackson, a bunch of, you know, um, age appropriate um, horror stories. Um, and it's, it's just fascinating how she, she hated reading, but because it tapped into this one thing she was interested in, she was, she didn't read any horror books. She only wanted to watch horror movies, but she was willing to dive into the reading with me if the story was really scary or <laughs> disgusting. So I think that, that that's the key. You can have a kid that hates writing, please don't make them write about something they're disinterested in. You know, like if they have to write about Pokemon from here to eternity, that's fine. You know, let them write about Pokemon. Um, so I think especially, especially with gifted kids who are experiencing that huge, huge level of asynchronous development, that the frustration is as big as the gap. You know, that's a lot of frustration for them. So just make it, make it be something fun that they enjoy doing. I, so I love that. I think that's super, super smart. Um, obviously it's a struggle a little bit. It forces a lot of creativity from, it does. from it the really people yeah. furnishing. Um, but I think that's such good advice and it's something that I personally try and, and be mindful of on a regular basis. Okay, so um, we have gone way over time, but um, 
it was wonderful chatting and I think we have a ton more that we could talk about. So why don't you, um, why don't we catch up after, after this a little bit and we'll share some resources and we can, um, you know, field some more questions and stuff yeah. like that. But so if, if people have specific ideas for resources too, I'm happy to, to give recommendations. Yeah. So I will, um, I'll collect some questions and, and see if we can help everyone find what they need. Well, thank you, Chrissy, and everyone who joined us today. Thank you so much for, for hopping in and having this little chat with us. It was really cool to hear from not only Chrissy, who has got the parental side expertise, and the tutoring side expertise, and kind of the academics, but um, I think I, I learned a lot. So I love the input that um, you guys gave in the comments as well. So it was huge, hugely valuable for me. Um, and I hope for everyone else as well. But I hope so too. again, thanks, Chrissy, and we will we'll see you we'll see you soon. Yay. Thank you, everyone. Bye.